You are listening to the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle Podcast, episode number 97. And today, ladies, we are talking about understanding emotional eating. So if you ever thought you might have a problem with emotional eating, you have a friend that has a problem with emotional eating, or you just want to know more about what it is and what it's not and what is the difference between emotional eating and an eating disorder, then today is the episode for you. So come on, let's dive in and get into the topic. Welcome to the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Broad. I'm a certified women's health and adult nurse practitioner, daughter, wife, mother, and now new proud Nana. And I'm on a global mission to disrupt the women's health education space by showing women how to be their healthiest self by teaching them how to be their number one self-care advocate. I believe that true transformation only happens when we come together as a collective group of women who are like-minded, who are curious and want to learn about our health as it pertains to us being women. So how do we do that? We do it one healthy conversation at a time. So let's dive in. Well, hey there, ladies, and welcome back. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the topic of emotional eating because I've been seeing a lot of this lately, and the new word that's going around is the quarantine 15, if not more, due to emotional eating and all the stress that we're going through. So it's no longer just the going to the younger generation when they call it the freshman 15 or the honeymoon 20, it's now the quarantine 15, the quarantine 20, if not more. All right, so we're gonna talk about emotional eating, and we're gonna talk about the difference between emotional eating and having an actual eating disorder. And some of the um, problems that arise from emotional eating from a holistic, from a, I mean, from a holistic and a health perspective, okay? So I wanna ask you, is food your best friend in times of stress? Do anxiety-ridden situations send you running to your favorite comfort food? These are obvious situations where feeding yourself is a direct response to some emotional need. However, emotional eating is not always so cut and dry. So it's not just like, okay, I'm stressed, I'm going to eat, or something's going bad and I'm going to run to my favorite food. Okay, aside from being problematic to your waistline, when you eat for emotional and mental reasons, ladies, rather than to fuel your body, serious health problems can develop. And since in your mind you are justifying your behavior, it can be very difficult to identify the real reasons you are eating and then reverse this potentially dangerous situation. So in today's podcast, I'm going to talk to you about um, this problem, why it's so widespread, and the health concerns that arise from it. And then I'm going to help you be able to distinguish between eating disorders and emotional eating and how these two problems, you know, sometimes, you know, are looked at as one of the same. And then I'm going to show you, talk to you a little bit about how you can break some of the habits of this. All right. So you ready? Okay, let's get started. So before um, I define emotional eating, there's something that I want you to understand. While most of the time, emotion-driven eating behaviors are fueled by negative, unhealthy, unhappy emotions, some people also turn to food when they're extremely happy and they're overjoyed. Negative emotions are usually related to emotional eating problems, but that is not always the case. That having been said, it's usually emotions that make you feel poorly and negative in some way that drive emotional eating behaviors. So 
majority of the time, it's the negative emotions and the feelings that you have that, that drive us to emotional eating. And how bad of a problem that emotional eating is, is for, is it varies as the individual varies. Okay. But a lot of times people emotionally eat for joyous occasions, you know, like in our society, every time there's a celebration, most people are celebrating with food. So you can associate that with, with that time. So you're eating for emotion, you're eating out of a happy emotion, but 90% of the time, emotional eating is driven by negative emotions. There are a couple of ways to look at emotional either eating rather than stick with a textbook definition, which can vary from source to source, depending on who you're reading. Let's, let's explore the whole experience that makes up emotional eating. So stick with me here. Okay. Emotional eating is as easy to understand as its name. It is not called hunger eating for a good reason. You are not eating because your body requires nourishment. That is a normal healthy eating process. When your body is missing some nutrients or some vitamins or minerals or other substances that it requires, it tells your brain. Your brain then sends signals to your body that start your stomach rumbling and an imaginary dinner bell ringing. You can hear it in the back. You walk to your kitchen or you head to your favorite restaurant to get your favorite food fix. And since you're eating to fill a natural hunger that's going on in your body, this is a healthy process depending on what you eat. Okay. Again, you want to be eating healthy, clean food. And we talk about that a lot in this month's Well Woman Masterclass membership. So if you would like to dive more and get um, more guidance on that on a monthly basis on different topics that have to do with your health over, overall, please come join us, check it out over at wellwomannetwork.com forward slash membership hyphen programs. And you can get in on the beta launch in the month of September. So, okay. Emotional eating happens when you are full or hungry or somewhere in between. Every one of us has a favorite comfort food. Okay. A lot of us think that we just enjoy these foods because they taste good. While this is usually the case and why we prefer some foods over others, the science of how you crave certain foods and not others goes way deeper than just taste. So the first time you eat any food, ladies, your sense of sight, your sense of smell, and sometimes your sense of touch get involved before you, before your sense of taste. It is this process that keeps human beings from eating foods we know are poisonous. The first caveman to unfortunately eat hemlock because it resembled a carrot did not live through the experience to talk about it. Okay. The fact that this happened, let other human beings know that hemlock was deadly. Now we don't eat it. The same learning experience is true with any food that you eat for the first time, whether you enjoy it or not, regardless if it's delicious, average, or extremely unpleasant to your taste buds, your mind is going to remember it. And if there's an experience or an emotion around it, your body and your mind is going to remember that emotion around that food more than the taste. Say it recalls how that food smelled, looked, and felt before it hit your mouth. So in the future, when one of your senses encounters that food again, your mind immediately recreates the experience you had, good or bad. Obviously, when food appeals to your senses, you remember that and you desire to eat that food in the future. This issue, this is the issue with pro this issue with process occurs when positive feelings are attached to bad food, then you're constantly always going to be craving them and wanting them. All right. So here's the problem with rewarding your brain with food. Our brains, ladies are like a supercomputer. 
While there are man-made computers which can handle operations quicker than your brain, there is no processing unit known to man that is more capable in so many ways than the human mind. Did you know that your brain rewards positive behavior with the release of what nutritionists and neuropsychologists call happy chemicals? It's true. When you do something that is beneficial to your health and well-being, your brain rewards you. This just makes sense, doesn't it? If the human brain rewarded negativity, unhealthy behaviors all the time, you probably wouldn't be here listening to this podcast right now. The human species would have died out a long time ago if unhealthy and dangerous behaviors were positively reinforced. We don't reinforce, you know, negative or unhealthy or dangerous behaviors in our kids. We tell them no, and there's a reason that we steer clear of those things. Thankfully, this is what happens most of the time. When you do things that are good for your health, your brain gives you a proverbial pat on the back and says, good job. Do that again in the future. To ensure that you continue doing these things that are good for you, I will reward you by releasing pleasurable chemicals. Stress hormones like cortisol are kept in check when your brain goes through this process and feel-good chemicals like dopamine and others are released in abundance. You feel good about what you just did, what you experienced, the foods you ate, or whatever caused this pleasurable release of chemicals. This reinforces positive behaviors. The problem is that many unhealthy foods and man-made chemicals trigger the release of these happy hormones and substances. Sugar, salt, MSG, and chocolate are just a few foods and chemicals that register an extremely positive experience in the brains of most people. That's why when we get to Sugar 101 and the Masterclass in month number two, we're going to be talking about sugar in a big way because it is like heroin to your brain. While salt, sugar, chocolate, and other pleasure-producing foods should not be considered as evil or inherently bad, an overabundance of these foods can cause health problems. Also, you should know that food manufacturers combine these and other healthy, unhealthy chemicals to concoct addict, addictive cocktails that create inadvertently pleasurable feelings, even though the foods that deliver these positive feelings are less than healthy for you at best. Okay, so there is a science behind that Twinkie. Okay, there is a science behind marshmallows. There's a science behind ice cream. Trust me, there's a science. These are the foods that you turn to when you eat to feed your emotions rather than hunger. Since these get happy components and chemicals are most often found in unhealthy processed foods, problems develop quickly. Anytime you eat processed foods, something that you purchase in a bag, wrapper, box, or can, you miss out on the natural nutrition real food has to offer. When these unhealthy, nutrient-poor food triggers positive, happy, feel-good responses in your brain, you begin to crave them. So the more you eat of that stuff, ladies, the more you crave it. So you want to do the 80-20 rule where you're eating 80% good and only 20% yucky. Then the next time you feel bad or you feel scared or you feel angry, depressed, or experience some other down emotion, what happens? You naturally reach for these foods. They do what their manufacturer intended and create a feeling of peace and happiness. Since they deliver very little to no nutrition, your brain signals that it, that is in need of healthy nutrients, chemicals, vitamins, and minerals. It understands that you have just eaten, but it also knows what your body needs to be healthy. So even though you have just you know you've just um, satisfied your emotions and given your body unhealthy, addictive, feel-good food with little nutrition, you are still hungry. So this causes you to reach for more food and guess what happens when you reach for what you reach for. 
You don't reach for healthy, delicious nutrients, vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, and berries. You reach for the same foods you used to give you an emotional uplift, and this cycle of eating unhealthy food continues, feeding upon itself. The result is you end up feeling physically and emotionally miserable. Sometimes you can feel guilty. You may even feel ashamed, and sometimes you feel frustrated when you realize what you have done. Sometimes have you eaten like a whole carton of ice cream and you didn't even realize that you did it until afterwards and then you're like, oh my God, I just ate 9,001 calories. It happens to even the best of us. Okay, since your emotions are in the dirt, what do you do as an emotional eater? You reach for those foods again because they provide a temporary emotional boost. Okay, so you can see how incredible and healthy and dangerous the emotional eating cycle can be. It literally feeds on itself. It's a perpetual thing. Unfortunately, most of us don't understand why we are eating the particular foods that we do when we feel upset or emotionally down. Food manufacturers understand the science behind certain foods and the chemicals they release that make you happy. They choose to put these chemicals in the foods that are unhealthy and incredibly cheap to make as all they are worried about is their bottom line. So instead of adding these chemicals to wonderfully healthy and nutritious foods with co with which cost manufacturers more money to market, and which do not have a long shelf life, they hand you unhealthy MSG, sugar, salt, and other chemicals that do nothing to help your long-term emotional and or physical health. Okay, so here are just a few common situations where you your feelings and emotions may derive unhealthy eating behaviors. Just a few examples. Okay, now this they may be you, they may not be you. I just came up with a few. You're at a party. There's plenty of food available. Not all of it is healthy. You're not really hungry. However, you want to feel like you belong and just to fit in, you eat like everyone else. Or you pack a healthy lunch for school or work. Your classmates make fun of your healthy food or your coworkers always head out to a popular casual dining restaurant for lunch and you're stuck at your desk. For fear of not fitting in and possibly missing out on social and business connections, you begin eating a less than healthy lunch just like your coworkers or fellow students. Or you just got a big promotion you've been working very hard for. You immediately think about rewarding yourself with a decadent, unhealthy, calorie, and carb-rich chocolate treat filled with sugar, refined flour, and other nutritional nightmares. You're, you rationalize this as a reward for your hard work. Or you haven't had a tough day. Nothing seems to go your way today. It looks like tomorrow will be the same. You have nothing to look forward to but a repetitive cycle of scraping by with very, with very little emotional, financial, or physical, or spiritual rewards. So you reach for food as an emotional crutch. Now, if you do this more often than not, that's where it becomes a problem. Now, we all have stressful days, okay? We all have those, you know, times when we're at a party. We all have those things when, you know, our girlfriends are going out and we want to go out with them and we just don't want to eat the lunch that we brought. That's okay. I'm not talking about those occasional things that are happening. That's what we're talking about in this episode. We're talking about when that becomes your norm and it's happening more and more and more. Okay. Any emotion you experience, good or bad, can lead to poor eating habits. As I mentioned earlier, unhealthy feeding attached to emotional states usually means less than positive experiences. You feel depressed, you're anxious, you're stressed out, you could be mad, angry, you could feel left out, you could feel alone, especially right now, and uncertain, especially right now, and these unhappy feelings drive poor eating behaviors. I know so many of my clients right now that have been on telemed or coming into the office are saying, you know, 
they've just been sitting on the couch and eating a lot more than what they should. Their diabetes is out of, is out of whack right now. Their cholesterol's off the charts. They've gained some weight because, you know, all the gyms are closed. They can't go outside. There's nowhere to go. They're feeling uncertain. They're feeling, you know, scared and anxious. And what do they do? They reach for unhealthy foods because that's pretty much what their diet consisted of, you know, before, or even if it didn't, that's just what they're reaching for now because they're comfort foods. And there's a reason that we reach for them. Like I said, they, the manufacturers put all that stuff in there to make you want to reach for those. All right. And keep on reaching for those. So now let's look at the health side of the equation. Several times already, I've already told you that there can be health problems caused by this improper feeding behavior. Just what exactly do you have to look forward to when you eat or feed your emotions rather than eat to feel, to fuel your body and get the nutrients that you need? Well, sometimes you can definitely gain weight, which has been happening a lot. You can have increased acne for women and for men. You can have digestive disorders. And we talked about some of those things that you can do for those in the other episode the other day. Sometimes you can actually feel like um, guilt because you, you're eating a lot of crap all the time. You can get poor circulation. You can have um, you know, low energy levels. You can get dehydrated. If you're eating too much junk food, you can have tooth decay. Sometimes your cholesterol is going to go sky high. It can definitely make your diabetes bad, and it can also hamper your gallstones, or it can cause you to get gallstones if you're eating a bunch of greasy food all the time. So I talked about too in the beginning that let's look at some of the differences and similarities between emotional eating and an eating disorder. Your emotional, your emotions, ladies, drive nearly every conscious thing that you do, more so for women than for men. Okay, I don't usually see a lot of men who emotionally eat, but I see a ton of women who do it. On the flip side of the emotional coin, whether you're happy or sad does not influence actions like um, flicking a light switch, tying your shoes, or brushing your teeth. Those are behaviors that once they become habits are automatically performed. You don't have to think about them. Your emotions are not involved. Okay. You don't have an emotional attachment to turning on a light. You don't have an emotional attachment about brushing your teeth. You just do it. On the other hand, consider any action you take that is conscious. These are the things that you think about before you do them. When you choose an outfit to wear, when you plan a vacation, when you're preparing a meal or for just a few examples of things which require a conscious, willing, thoughtful process. Okay. So this helps us to explain the difference between emotional eating and a full blown eating disorder. Emotional eating is impulsive. Okay. It's on the spur of the moment. It's impulsive. You're not thinking about it. An eating disorder is compulsive. So it's the opposite. When you eat for instant gratification, that is emotional eating. You're eating to answer an emotional need that you just experienced. Consider it instantaneous self-destruction with food used to treat emotional needs. Compulsive eating, which occurs with diagnosed eating disorders, can be considered continuous self-destruction. Okay. So you're continuously, when you have an eating disorder, you're continuously doing it, you're continuously doing it and it becomes compulsive where when you are just an emotional eater, you're doing it for instantaneous gratification at that particular time. Emotions drive impulse eating behaviors. Eating disorders drive compulsive eating behaviors. Compulsive overeating often occurs because of an addiction to food. The compulsion is to eat all day and night. This can occur because of chemical imbalances or other conditions which lead to the diagnosis of a recognized eating disorder. And if you feel that is you, then I encourage you highly to seek out some medical care to see if that is a problem for you. Emotional eating does not occur all the time. Like I just said, it's impulsive. 
It only happens when you experience an emotional need that goes unfulfilled. Turning to food in this instance does not happen for everyone, but for the emotional eater, it can create the serious social and health problems mentioned earlier. Okay. Understand that emotional eating and eating disorders, they are closely related. Okay. So let's talk about some symptoms of emotional eating. It's important to know what signs can point out an emotional eating problem. For some of the symptoms of emotional eating, I'm going to give you um, below, there's indicators that often represent that there's a condition or a problem. But when you experience several of the following red flags of unhealthy eating, your emotions are probably the cause. You eat when you're not hungry. You consciously reach for foods that you know are bad for you and you know will have a negative health effect, but you do it anyways. You look upon food as your best friend. You get cravings that make you feel out of control as if no one, if, as if you had no choice but to give in. You often eat until you feel stuffed. You feel that you are not hungry enough to eat any amount of healthy food, such as a banana, apple, or orange. However, you are extremely hungry for massive amounts of unhealthy food like cake, chocolate treats, sweets, and baked goods. You feel guilty or ashamed after you've eaten the bad stuff that is. You eat large portions and quantities of food that make you feel naughty and that you feel like you have to hide the food and you have to sneak when nobody's looking for it. You eat, when you feel worn down and need a shot of energy, this is often because of an emotional need. If you frequently turn to food and beverages for an energy boost, this could be a sign of emotional eating. You find yourself frequently going out of the way to look for opportunities to reward positive behavior with unhealthy eating episodes. Like you're always asking your friends, let's go eat, let's go celebrate, let's go do this. And everything that you reward yourself with is food. Okay, when you try to be rewarding yourself with other things, a massage, a manicure, get your hair done, you know, go to the beach or all of those kind of things like that. All right. Experts believe that as, that as much as 75% of all overeating is emotionally driven. When this impulsive and widespread activity takes place, the following foods are often what you reach for. You reach for all the fattening stuff, the carby stuff, the sweet stuff. You reach for pasta, macaroni, you reach for donuts, you reach for sugar coffee, all of those type of things because they're, they give you instant, an instant up and an instant feeling good. Okay. Simple carbs are processed incredibly quickly by your body. They enter your bloodstream rapidly and they're stored as fat. This is one way in which emotional eating leads to overweight and obesity to other conditions from there, such as diabetes, hyperlipidemia, you know, and a lot of other problems, gut issues. So the other problems with when you, if you're an emotional eater is if you ever try to go on a, on a, I hate to say the word, I don't want to say the word as diet is to lose weight, but if you go on a weight loss, you know, venture program, whatever, you do well until you have an emotional response to something in a negative way. And therefore your weight loss progress that you've already made just goes right down the toilet. So people who have, who are emotional eaters have a very hard time losing weight and, or a lot of people who have, um, emotional eating problems and they're overweight and they go for bariatric surgery. A lot of times I'd say maybe 80% of the time the surgery is, is successful, but it doesn't work and they just keep the weight on or they'll lose it and they gain it right back again. And part of the problem is, is because they haven't looked at the emotional side of why they eat. Okay. So emotional eating is just that it's emotional and you need to look at and try to understand the emotions that are behind your eating habits. Like, why am I feeling depressed today? 
You know, is something going on? Can I talk to a girlfriend about it instead of eating? You know, why do I feel um, anxious? You know, why do I feel sad? You know, why do I feel frustrated with myself? Why do I feel overwhelmed? Like we talked about in a lot of other the podcasts, you know, you just need to sit down and try to recognize some of these things because that's part of being your number one self-care advocate. That's taking control of your health and looking at the emotions that are attached to what you're doing, okay, and what you're eating, okay? So let me see here. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about how to break free from some of these um, emotional eating things using holistic techniques, natural things. So the first thing you can do is you can keep a food and a mood journal. Like I just said, you know, write down your emotions before, during, and after you eat anything. Look for patterns where your emotional state drives feeding behaviors and also where you feel guilt, shame, or other negative emotions after you eat. Exercise. It bears repeating that the same pleasurable chemicals released by unhealthy comfort foods are also derived as a reward for physical activity. So get your body moving. I may not be an influencer or well-known as Rachel Hollis, who tells you to move every day for 30 minutes and millions of people are listening to her, you know, but yet they don't want to listen to their medical person. Move your body 30 minutes or more every single day. Work up a sweat, get those endorphins going, okay? Purge your pantry. Foods that come in a jar, a box, a wrapper, or package are highly processed most of the time. Clean out your, pa- your pantries so therefore you don't have any temptations. Join a support group online, especially right now. Eat more frequently, eat healthier foods in reasonable proportions, and try not to go too long without eating because when you don't eat for a long period of time, what happens is you can sometimes become hypoglycemic and then you're feeling irritable, anxious, and you reach for garbage that you really don't need to give you that quick up. Keep healthy snacks around you all the time. Carrot sticks, celery, avocados, toast, hummus, peanut butter, okay? Change your associations. The next time you feel like an, emo- an emotion is driven, your eating behavior, do something else instead, okay? Tie that emotional need to exercise, healthy socialization, or some other activity other than eating. So if you're feeling that way, go distract yourself and do something different, Okay. If you need to talk to a medical provider and you need to get some medication to help you with certain things, with anxiety, with depression, if that's the source of what's driving you, then please do so, okay? Spend time with people that make you feel great without food being a part of the process. As soon as an emotional, as soon as you feel an emotionally triggered feeling comes into your mind, call a friend or a family member and start talking and again, distract yourself. Use aromatherapy, okay, in place of traditional medical stuff. There's a lot of aromatherapy that has a lot of good smelling and, and, sense, and senses, and it can turn your mind, give you energy. So I use my diffuser all the time, and I love wild orange in my diffuser because it gives you that uplifting energy, and it helps take away the thought of you know the unpleasant emotions, which also can be triggering it. Try yoga. Try meditating. Get yourself busy. Don't stand around and be unac- un, you know, unoccupied. Do something. Start adopting a healthy diet or healthy way of eating, okay? Because the more you eat healthy, the more your body's going to crave that, all right? Reward positive behaviors with other things other than food, all right? And then use mindfulness to start a healthy eating plan. And mindful eating is just that. It's eating when you feel hungry. It's not eating when you don't. And it's mindful about what you're putting on the end of your fork. You're looking at it and you're looking at food as nutrition. Again, please, if you want to have a guide that 
knows about a lot of these topics. I've been doing this for 26 years, women's health. Um, it's my jam. And I would love to be your guide and really go in depth on some of these um, things that we're talking about here in the podcast, which we're going to be doing over in the membership. So please, you know, just come check it out. Come over to wellwomannetwork.com forward slash members hyphen programs, or go to the nav bar and click on the um, programs and take a look at, you know, what the membership offers you in the month of September. It's $19.99 a month. And it's going to be that way for life if you stick with us. And I guarantee you that I'm going to be asking you how to drive this membership. It's going to be awesome. And, you know, it's less than, I think, 67 cents. I think I added it up. If, I'm, if math, math's not my strong part all the time. I think it's 67, less than 67 cents a day. My goodness, ladies, that is less than a cup of coffee. No matter where you go, even if you go to McDonald's or you go to Arco, to have a medical prefer, a professional, you know, as your guide, to help you be the hero in your medical journey, okay? You need to understand about your health. It is more imperative now than ever. You need to know how your body works, how it doesn't work, and you need to be able to have intelligent conversations with anybody and everybody, okay? And how to start standing up for yourself when you dive into the medical com community and you have to challenge your medical provider, maybe against something that you believe or, or stand up for yourself. This is how you do it. You do it by being empowered. So again, I encourage you, to, you know, subscribe and give this podcast a rating over on iTunes. Um, connect with me over in um, Instagram, DM me at Well Women Network or follow us. Um, we're going to have a lot of great content. Come on over. We off. We have a free group. I don't post in there like tons of stuff, but I do try to get in there. It's just sometimes it's hard for me. The group on Facebook is Well Women Network 360. That's our free group. Hang on a second. I'm just going to grab a sip of water here. Okay, great. Quench the thirst there. Um, and also we're going to be having along with the monthly membership, you get access to a private Facebook group where we're going to be even further diving into the monthly masterclass topic that we are doing. So I encourage you, please come on over, check it out. If you do sign up to become a member, you can, you, you can unsubscribe at any time. And we're also even offering, if you join as a yearly member, which we'd love to have you stick around for a year because you will only get the best benefit when you stick around for a little bit longer term and you kind of, you know, ride the thing out, right? So if you join as a yearly member, um, you'll get like two, I believe we're giving you two months for free and we're going to try to bring you other special things too. So like I said, come on over, check us out on all of our channels and ladies, I'm here for you. Um, it is my mission to disrupt the women's health education space, to stand um, for you women, no matter race, creed, color, religion, sexual orientation, any of that stuff. We are women at the end of the day and we have certain health needs and we are getting neglected out there and the conversation is not happening on a real level. And it's my job and it's my mission to bring that realness to you, to talk to you about what you need, even if you may not want to hear it and how you must, must start becoming your number one self-care provider and self-care, not provider, self-care advocate so that you can be the hero in your business, your life and whatever you choose to do out there. So I hope that you have a richly blessed, blessed week and that's it for now. And I'll talk to you soon and have a great day, evening, whenever you're listening to this. Okay. Bye for now. The information including, but not limited to text, graphics, images, and other material contained on the main Well Woman Network website and Well Woman Network blog post on the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle podcast and any other Well Woman Network health educational resources are for educational purposes only. 
The purpose of Well Woman Network's educational resources is to promote broad consumer understanding and knowledge of various women's health topics. It is not intended to, to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard or read on any of our platforms.